0: I love this chapter of the scriptures. My friend Gordon, a photographer, used to come when we were going to South Africa on trips with my students. And he would um, would just come and do a bit of a, how do you take photos when you're away? I'm not sure now, ten years later in the world of iPhones, whether... Um, that's something needs to be done or not. We're all taking photographs all the time. I remember the first time we went, and we had digital. My goodness, it was incredible. There was probably a megapix or something on it. We'd spent a fortune on it, and now these phones are all so powerful. But when Gordon came, he would have said to us, there's, there's different ways. He, he would have started the evening with showing us a photograph. I remember he used to do one at the, the Giant's Ring where he probably had a photograph of Right in the centre of the stone formation Maybe part of the stone And he would start by saying What is that He would do another one maybe in a kids play area And he would have closed closed up on Some little animal that they would Jiggle about and ride on rock on And he would ask what is that And we'd have this question And then the next one he would show would be taken out from that Which made it obvious what it was And then he might have had a third one Which was even wider lensed And he would teach us that you take these photographs at different angles, it gives you a different take on what you've been taking. So he would always have said to them, if you're at Cape Point, then get the recorded photograph where everybody's in the photograph. And then he would say, and then just get down on your knees and take one looking up, or stand in a chair and take one looking down, or zoom in, or zoom out, and make it a little bit more creative and artistic to get different angles. This short series, which will lead into the Lent series that um, the Spiritual Formation Group on Session have been working on, that we're going to do the travel narratives. If you remember a few years ago, those who were with us a few years ago, um, we read through the New Testament during Lent, the whole New Testament. We're going to make it easy this year and only read about eight chapters. But we're hoping that we will do that as a congregation, as a church, and that there will be various ways that we'll do that, including the morning services, evening events, and uh, something for you to read at home in a way that you can read chapters differently every day during Lent. That's going to come over the course of the next while. Um, It's the travel narratives in Luke, which um, Jesus sets his eyes on Jerusalem at the end of chapter 9, and then we have this journey uh, towards Jerusalem. Right in the middle of that is what I was thinking about doing at the uh, after the summer, but put off because I wanted to do fruitfulness on the front line. But I've come back to this. It was a book I read last summer by Kenneth Bailey about, and he links the prodigal son story with the story of Jacob. Now, in the next three sermons that I, I'll be doing, we will see how there might be moments when I might suggest he contrives that slightly, but there are certainly some very, very interesting Connections between the two. And Bailey talks about three photographs and how we could look at Luke chapter 15 with just one of these stories. Then we could look at them with the three stories in the whole chapter. And then we could take a wider angle and look at them in the light of the entire scripture and how they're connected with Jacob in the Old Testament, etc., etc. And I think that's an interesting lesson we have in how we read the Bible. I grew up reading the Bible, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but be careful with it, in those little devotionals you do every morning. And what would have happened here is, you might have got all three of these stories in one week, but you wouldn't have got them probably all together, they would have cut them into the three different stories. And so I grew up for a long time in my Christian faith, preaching and speaking and leading teams and doing theology where the Bible was so cut up that we were I was personally reading it wrong because I wasn't connecting it with the other things. I had just the close-ups, not the wider photographs. Cutting the Scriptures up into verses or half-verses or even just little parts of the Gospels can damage how we read the Scriptures. And wasn't that what we gained so much When we did the New Testament through during Lent that year That we were reading chunks of it in the morning And we were seeing how those things were linked Particularly Luke and Acts Because we did it in that chronological order of when the books were written And we moved straight from Luke into Acts And that changed how we saw Luke and how we saw Acts Cutting the Bible up can give us faulty pictures Or faulty understanding of Scripture Also we read the Bible backwards, don't we? What I mean by that is we come at the Bible from the 21st century back through the Gospels and try to make some understanding of Genesis out of the way we come to it from where we are in history. When Jesus was saying these words in Luke 15, they were coming to it the other way. They had the Old Testament Scriptures. They were in the Old Testament Scriptures. And Jesus was coming, and he was explaining himself in the light of what was going in that direction. So when it comes to this passage that we're at today, when Jesus starts speaking about a shepherd, they already have Psalm 23 probably in their minds immediately. And also that lack of context that I've talked about. We need to see How stories are in context. So the prodigal son story is basically that gospel story. There you are, you're lost, you're chasing after prostitutes, and Jesus found you, and you're saved, and that's the story. What was the story told for? It wasn't told, and I say this gently for some mission hall sermon on the outskirts of Balaamena, though it can be used there. This was Jesus' response to something. What was the context in how Jesus told these stories? And why did he set all three together? Well, what was the context? Kim read it for us. At the start of chapter 15, and we've been talking about banquets and all kinds of other stuff in chapter 14, remember that banquet thing, because there's parties at the end of these three stories, we find this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around Jesus to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told the story. That's the context in which Jesus told the story. For everything Jesus says, and particularly the parables, you've got to ask yourself, what is the question he's answering in this story? Because that will reveal to us what might be going on in the story. And as we look at these travel narratives, really interestingly from uh, Luke chapter 9 right through to the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, we will find that more than once Jesus is having this issue with the religious people. They don't like the fact that he ate with Zacchaeus instead of them. We find the story of the Pharisee and the publican. We find all these different stories that seems to be right in the center of Jesus' life is this battle that's going on between him and the Pharisees, which is not about him and the Pharisees as much as it is as to what God really cares for and how God reaches into humanity. So I've been reading Kenneth Bailey and steeping myself In Luke chapter 15 And in the story of Jacob Which I also love I love the idea And we'll come to this a while down the road I love the idea that Jacob changes his name to Israel Because Israel means wrestling with God The people of God were those who wrestled with God I grew up where don't dare wrestle with God Just whatever God says, just do it And that story where Jacob Wrestles with God and engages with God And walks away with a limp I would love the worship album of the Limps of God. But they're not much like that, are they? "Come and God will bless you, and if you worship God and engage with God, you will go away and you will be better than you came in." Really? What if we had those worship songs that says, "Come this morning into the presence of God and wrestle with God and go home with a limp?" Many CDs would they sell? And yet, when you come to speak about Jacob, it's very hard to find a worship song, particularly a modern worship song, that might relate to somebody who, when he engaged with God, went away disfigured. I love Jacob. And I love Jacob even before Bruce Springsteen in the middle of a concert in Dublin said, I'm going to sing a song called Jacob's Ladder. And because I'm singing a song called Jacob's Ladder, I thought I should find out what Jacob was and who Jacob was so that I could explain that to you. So I opened the Bible in the hotel room and I looked up this story. It's in Genesis. You can find it there in Genesis. And I found this Jacob guy was one greedy, twisted, I'll not say because the exegesis that Bruce gives in the language at that point might not be just right for a Presbyterian church. And then he said, but then Jacob fell right into the arms of a loving God. And he goes into this song." and I'm going, did I just hear the gospel right in the middle? Or did I just hear the story of the prodigal son through Jacob? And we're back to Kenneth Bailey. Anyway, three things I want to bring out You know me, always like the three points. Um, Three things I want to bring out of this. And the first one, there might actually be more than three, but anyway, we'll start and see where we go. The first one is that when Jesus starts to respond to this issue that he's responding to, so these stories are based around the fact he's eating with people you shouldn't be eating with. And the religious are looking at him saying, well, you shouldn't associate with them. You shouldn't go there. You shouldn't do that. Jesus tells these stories. And the first thing that Bailey would bring out is that basically what Jesus does is he says to them, now this is paraphrase, this is Bailey's paraphrase, this is my paraphrase via Bailey's paraphrase, so we're surmising here. It's basically that Jesus turns to these religious people and says, let me just give you a wee sermon on Psalm 23. Do you know that Psalm where we talk about the Lord is my shepherd and I shall lack nothing and that he will restore our souls? Well let me put that in the context we're in right now let's go back to your scriptures and find an interpoint to this debate that you will understand and so Jesus talks about a shepherd looking for a sheep now we could go into this and I know some of you would love it. I wish I was better at it than I am. But we could go into this because in this story with Christology, because Jesus becomes the shepherd eventually. So Jesus is incarnating into the story to go and find. So we've, we see who Jesus is in this story, and, and we see incarnation in this story. And we see the cost of what it is to the shepherd, because though he carries the sheep home joyfully. There's some cost to carrying a sheep that's been lost home, because the sheep has been lost and probably can't, it's probably not so well because it's been lost, and there's all kinds of costs to that, and that's all in the story. But the, the jumping off point is that Jesus is trying to say to them, what I'm doing here has got Old Testament connections, and I want to bring you with the scriptures you know into an understanding of what's going on around you. And then I want to look at the lost. Something struck me this week as I went over these stories, particularly the first two that we'll only really get to today and we'll look at the prodigal son the next time. How did they get lost? How did they get lost? It seems that as Jesus starts this story, he's blaming the shepherds for losing the sheep. one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. We're not going here looking for sheep of other pastures that we get in John chapter 10. We're going for a sheep that we lost, or the shepherd lost. And it would seem that in this story, as I read it this week and some of the commentators I was reading around, particularly Kenneth Bailey's for sure, that what we have here is that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees saying, you have lost a sheep. You're the shepherds. You're the religious people. You've been careless. You've been bad leaders. That's why I'm spending time with these tax collectors and sinners because you've done a bad job with them. And then Jesus incarnates into the story to become the shepherd who sees these people as sheep without a shepherd and has compassion on them as we read about elsewhere in the Gospels. He's blaming the religious for losing. And yesterday at Norman's funeral, this took a wee twist for me, because I'm thinking of all this around in my head and trying to apply it to this morning, and then conversations that happen shift your thinking. I was standing over there with Roy Patton, who was moderator a couple of years ago from Bally Gilbert, and we were talking about Donegal Pass, where Norman had that shop that I talked about. And then we talked about what Presbytery are thinking about at the minute, that from Donegal Pass right through to um the roundabout at the Royal and the village, there's hardly any longer a church. There's certainly not a Presbyterian church with a minister. We are the closest church to the city center with a minister in Presbyterianism. There's a corridor of 20, 30, 40,000 Protestants with New no Shepherd probably not going into churches this morning, probably not much interest in God, though they're interested in some kind of Protestantism and God might appear on their flags and on their murals or whatever else. Now, are we saying, well, they all went astray, or do we need to seriously ask ourselves a question as the religious leaders or the church of Northern Ireland? Did we, did we lose those sheep? Could we have done church in a different way that it would have? Are we too middle class? In our middle classness, have we lost thousands and tens of thousands of sheep that no longer look towards the shepherd? Do we need to think about doing. Church differently. I don't mean compromising what we believe at all, but I mean maybe in the way that we have shared our faith and our belief, because the Pharisees they weren't compromising. But they'd got themselves into a default position that couldn't see other ways to do it. Had got themselves into some ways to be holy that so confined the holiness that people couldn't get through the door of their self righteousness or whatever else. And Roy and I were talking about our church, our denomination. And we were saying, who have we, where are the people who can go in there and be shepherds to the sheep without one? When I looked at one of the professors in college at Presbytery and said to them, are we training our ministry students to be able to go in and do that? He took the floor. And he said, we as a denomination have one thing we need to start with before we reach that corridor. And that is to renounce the way we've done mission and church up until now. But you know what I find? I can renounce it very easily, but I struggle to work out how we can Be the shepherds to go into those places. Because I'm not trained for it. My mindset's not in it. I haven't the gifts to do it. But we need, as a denomination, we need, as the Church of Christ across denominations, to work out how we are going to reach for Jesus the lost that maybe we have lost. And I'm not even talking, I could get on now to that other generation that are falling off snow off a ditch. The thousands and thousands of teenagers and early 20s that I ministered to while I was a chaplain, not only in Queen's Chaplaincy, but at concerts and festivals and church events across Ireland, who today are not getting up to go to church and are lost in many ways to understanding what faith is in our generation. And the shepherd went after one when 99 was okay. The shepherd put such a priority in one when 99 were okay. Couldn't we say to ourselves, ah, oh, well, we're doing all right here? In fact, there's people in the balcony. We're going to be all right for the next 15 years. Let's just look after ourselves and make sure that we get this church hall built and we get it paid off and we start to do ministry and look at Family Focus. There's lots of stuff happening. The shepherd in this story is after the one who was lost. Because it seems to me, and forgive me for this phrase, it seems to me that God is as tight over souls as a Balamina man is over a penny. The next story does it not tell us that Although it's a Balamina woman Which in itself At this point of the gospel Is quite a radical thing Why would Jesus decide it's a woman Looking after this coin And how can we 2000 years later not get What Jesus is saying about the importance of women In mission and church From this situation No what I know today is That there are thousands of And thousands of people in our city Who are sheep without a shepherd And what I can tell from this story today Is that God's heart Longs to be after them And those many that I speak to That no longer come Who had vibrant faiths And still live with The values of that faith And even the social action of that faith Jesus loves them God loves them he will go after the one and we are his church And we need to hear his call Another thing, and I'm sorry I love this stuff and I might go on too long But let me bring another thing to you and then come out from this I'm fascinated by verse 7 and verse 10 They're, they're, they're repeated really I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And then the lost coin, when the woman, let me stress, and Jesus talks a lot about woman, or Luke brings up those stories that Jesus talks a lot about woman in this gospel. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, why would I have a problem with that as I read it in the context? Where is the repentance in these stories? There's a sheep who's lost, and the shepherd goes and finds the sheep, and picks the sheep up, and puts the sheep on his shoulder, and takes him to the party, or her if it's a wee female sheep. There's a coin lost, the woman goes and seeks the coin, and finds the coin and picks the coin up and puts it with the other coins. Now, I'm sorry, but in those two stories, I cannot find one trace of what the sheep does or what the coin does. The sheep doesn't come out from under a rock and say, Ah, hide and seek, here I am. No, I really want to repent. I really want to get back to the other 99 because I miss my brothers and sisters. And the coin doesn't sneak out from under some crack somewhere and say, Here I am. Sorry to get lost. I just decided it would nip away somewhere, but I really want to put that right again doesn't happen so what does repentance mean in these stories Now, that is another of the evangelical conundrums i've lived with for 25 years repentance grace grace repentance tim mcgowan i used to come here heads up tear fund uh, tim when um, he came back to belfast and was working for christian aid we oh, did. He was the Liverpool player who moved to Everton. Don't tell anybody, but that's what happened. Tim and I used to meet for coffee, and Tim was, you know Tim, some of you, and Tim's that kind of guy who will come out with some phrases. You sit down, well, it was probably a lot more than coffee. There was probably a big mass of fry right there on the plate, and, and Tim would say something. He said one morning to you, said, Steve, let me ask you this, all of us, what is your mouse pressing on in the icon? What icon is your mouse pressing on in your life today? That's an interesting question What icon are you You know you got that we are over and you're about to press And I thought that's a great phrase What is the icon that we press When we want the salvation of God And in Northern Ireland We have a bit of an issue with that one Because many many places The most evangelical places would say Well the icon's simple If you repent If you repent Press that icon and then grace appears Really? Really? Can I ask you about that? Is that repentance not a human effort? Are we saying that if I want to be saved, and if I want Jesus to forgive my sins, and I want to be redeemed by what Christ has done on the cross and the resurrection, that I need to repent to receive it? by grace through faith so that no one can boast and oh look at the repentance I did it's why I love our baptism it's why I love the Presbyterian baptism next week Tom who they've got out but he was looking snug over there we will come and we will put water over Tom and Tom will not repent he will give no testimony now we'll not say either that Tom is justified and sanctified and the journey of faith for Tom is over But it will not be about Tom It will be about God Norman McConnell's life yesterday Was not witnessing just to his faithfulness in God In fact it wasn't Norman's faithfulness in God that was the key It was God's faithfulness to Norman And then what Norman did through that faithfulness Bailey Kenneth Bailey came up with this phrase, and I love it to explain this which icon. Out of these two stories, Bailey says this with Jesus, repentance equals acceptance of being found. I love that. Repentance for the sheep was acceptance of being found. Repentance for the coin was acceptance of being found. Now I know where you're going in your own mind. You're into the next story and we'll come to that in a couple of weeks where at least the prodigal son makes some effort to come back to the father. But repentance equals acceptance of being found. And then Bailey takes us back into Psalm 23 where he thinks, and he's done some Hebraic stuff that I don't know whether he's right or wrong on, but he takes, restores my soul And looks at that word as part of this repentance, acceptance of being found. When we are restored into the family of God, into the flock of God, into how we were meant to be as human beings, repentance is our acceptance of being found. What about this morning? I always take it home, don't I? Yes we're found aren't we You could probably get up and preach the gospel to us And that would be great And you know the theology and you know your verses And you're pretty clear and articulate about it But are there still areas Are there still areas where we need to accept God coming and finding us Or are there things in our lives That have got us a little bit astray Are there things that have taken us off the path that we promised to be on? Are there things distracting us, temptations in our lives? Grief, struggle, worry. When the seed's sown, the worries that choke it. Or the shallowness of what we want to do to respond, the worries, the money. This morning as I read these stories and we'll come to the other story and then we'll try and put it in the context of Jacob Springsteen's dead right there is a God who even Jacob who even the prodigal can fall back into the loving arms of it's all they have to do fall back into the loving arms of they don't need to repent to sort it out before because it's not the long walk home that will restore this heart it's the welcome of grace we receive at the restart. And this morning God is in this place and He send each one of us Except me finding you in who you are. Yeah. You know the frailties. I know the frailties, God says. I know the frailties more than you do. I know the stuff that has you astray. But I am a shepherd with compassion for you this morning and all I'm asking is that you would fall into the arms of my love and let me deal with this except being found, being restored, being led home again. And then as we are this week, I want you to ask yourself in the homework, the lost around you, In your office, on your street, on our streets, in that corridor, in other quarters of the city. I hear we're trying to get a fifth quarter. I've suggested we get six, then we'd be a city and a half. As we look out at the lost, let's ask ourselves honestly. Has the body of Christ in Belfast have we helped them get lost? And what do we need to do in our personal lives, and in our life as a congregation, and as our life in a denomination, and as our life as a body of Christ in Belfast? What do we need to do to be the shepherds that go and seek the lost and put them on our shoulder and bring them home? Let's pray. Lord you're after us you long for us you want us as yours and when we're yours we become ours we find ourselves again the fulfilment of our humanity life in all its fullness that's your longing for us today and you're seeking us Lord forgive us when we allow the things of this world to cause us to maybe hide ourselves from you as Adam and Eve did or when unintentionally we get ourselves lost or off course. Help us to look into the darker parts of our living and allow you in to restore so that our repentance would be our acceptance of your love and our acceptance of being found and our acceptance of your lordship. And then, Lord, burden us as Jesus was burdened. For the outcasts of our city Those that no one else in the city Are paying any attention to But that Jesus ate with Lord show us What we need to do in our own lives What we need to do in our church life What we need to do in our denominational life And the wider mission of God In this country To reach the lost That they might know they are loved As they are And that you long to put them on your shoulder And carry them home We ask it in Jesus name Amen